I don't need two Bibles. One Bible will last us three hours for sure this morning. Hey, thank you for joining us this morning here at Journey Church. My name is Scott. I haven't had a chance to introduce myself yet. I'm the, the lead pastor here. And, and I want to just thank you for taking a few minutes just to listen and hear some of what we were sharing about our time in Rwanda. It, it is significant. It's not just significant for the people that are going, but it's significant for this church, for this family, because this is a part of, of what we do. It's, it's a part of where our heart goes and it's part of how we're engaging in the, in the world together. So thank you for the part that you're playing in sponsorship and in support and in prayer and in, and in love and in encouragement as well. Now this morning, kind of we're coming to the close of the summer, right? I mean, it's the fall is, someone said this morning, that they could smell it in the air. It smells like fall outside and the kids are back in school. And my hope is that you guys had a wonderful summer, that you were able to enjoy some, some family time, maybe some time with friends, maybe going to the beach. I don't know, whatever it was, I hope that, that you had some moments this summer that were filled with joy and, and filled with pleasure and filled with just some goodness and grace. And, and we had a number of those ourselves this, this summer. But, but one thing that happened this summer was we had our, our third child turn 15. And if you know what that means, it means that he gets to learn how to drive. So yeah, insert all the great jokes here, like stay off of the sidewalk, you know, you know pray for Natasha and I, all of those things. And, but as I was reminded this week as we, I'm beginning to teach Brady how to, to drive, I was reminded that this is a wonderful opportunity, opportunity for him. It's an opportunity for him to, to grow some thick skin because really the only way to learn how to, to drive is to be corrected. And so he's going to just have to learn how to be, be corrected off and on. But, but really the, the greatest opportunity for him is to learn the practice of, of, of listening and it's the practice of then like applying or putting into practice what he hears. For me, it's going to be the practice of, of patience, and giving, patience and giving clear directions. But for Brady, it's, it's an opportunity to, to practice listening and then to respond appropriately. It actually reminded me of, of a quote that I actually shared a, a number of years ago from a, a, an author and a, and a scholar. It's actually, well, I think, our family's favorite biblical scholar. I don't know if your family has one of those, but, and I'm trying, <laughs> probably not. I mean, and, and it's not like we read this biblical, biblical scholar together. We just like his name. His name is Klein Snodgrass, and I just think it's the best name. <laughs> But he has some fantastic things to say, and Klein says this about kind of formation. He says, the key to spiritual formation, which we'll begin talking about next week, and formation as we understand it, is it's this process of being formed in Christ-likeness for the sake of the world. And he says that the key to spiritual formation is the willingness to listen, the practice and discipline of listening and responding appropriately to the received word. See, Klein wrote this book. It's called The Stories with Intent, and it's all about the, the parables of Jesus. He takes each parable and he kind of breaks it down and, and studies it and, and helps us to, to understand it. And, and when we talk about the parables of Jesus, we often refer to the parable of Jesus as this, as an earthly story or like an earthly analogy with a heavenly meaning, right? Now, and at, the, at its basic, at its most simplest, that is, that is for sure true, and that's a great starting point that this is, this is what a, a, the parable of Jesus is, but, but as we read them and as we look at them, we understand that they are so much more than that. In fact, Klein would go on to say this about the parables of Jesus. He says the parables were the means Jesus used most frequently to explain the kingdom of God, to show the character of God, to reveal the expectations of God, and to engage people with God's kingdom. Jesus' parables, they were, they were intentional. They were stories with intent. 
as Klein would say. He also would say that here's a question that you should ask of, of every parable of Jesus that you read. How did Jesus change the attitudes, perspectives, and behaviors with this parable? Now, this morning, we're going to talk through a parable that is found in, in Luke chapter 14. Natasha read it for us this morning. But before we do, I just want to pause for even a, a moment. The pause is time for, just to, for us to quiet ourselves, uh, our mind, our heart, our soul, even our body, to just simply let the, the dust of our souls to, to settle down for a moment before we, we try to listen and respond appropriately to God's word. So would you just take a moment, you can close your eyes if you want to, but just take a deep breath and, and just quiet yourself for just a moment before we get into the word. Jesus, teach us the word of God by the spirit of God, that it might become fulfilled in our lives together as your church, for our good, for others' gain, and for your glory. Speak now for your servants, your beloved daughters and sons are listening. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Now this morning, we, we, again, we read a parable found in, in Luke chapter 14. But this parable, it was, it was a, a, an intentional story, but it was not a story that was just given in isolation. Jesus didn't just tell stories because he liked to tell stories or for entertainment value. He wasn't trying to keep people interested, but he had a, a point and a purpose in this story. And it's caught in the middle of a, of a scene that Luke was telling. So let me just let me give you just a, just a little bit of background. Let me just set that scene for you. It was the, a Sabbath, so it was this, this day set apart for, for rest, and Jesus was at the house of, of a Pharisee with a number of Pharisees and a number of experts in the religious law, and, and they were celebrating the Sabbath. They were going to share a, a Sabbath meal. And so it says, as Luke tells the story, it says that they were watching Jesus carefully, which is what they did with Jesus. They were keeping their eyes on him, and they were kind of focusing in on him, just trying to catch him in, in something. And so they were watching him carefully, so Jesus gave them something to watch. He saw a man sitting in the room, probably placed there by one of the Pharisees, who was suffering from some disease of, of swollenness in his, in his joints and in his body. We don't totally know what, exactly what it was, but Jesus posed the question, is it okay for me to heal this man on the Sabbath? And their response was nothing. They had, they had nothing to say and they had no response. And so Jesus healed the man and sent him on his way. And as he looked around the room, he saw that, the, as, that as people were filling into the room and filing and looking for seats, they were all picking the best seats at the table, the seats of, of honor and the seats of, of, that were distinguished for honored guests, and, and they were finding those best seats. And so he told an, a parable that, he just, that basically said, don't seek honor, but seek humility. Like, go in and find the, the worst seat, and then let someone else decide whether you are worthy of honor or not, and they will seat you where you, where you deserve to be seated. And then he looked in this room and he saw that the room was, again, full of Pharisees. It was full of the, the religious elite, the experts in the law, all of these powerful and high-status people. And, and he speaks to the host, again, in kind of a, a parable. And he says, you know, when you throw a party, when you throw a, a feast, don't just invite your, your friends. Don't just invite the elite. Don't just invite your neighbors or your family, those who can repay you for, for what you have given to them. But he says, instead, go and, and invite the poor. Go and invite the disabled, the, the blind and the lame, those who, who cannot repay you, and then you will receive your reward. 
And it's at this moment that after those three things took place that, that someone kind of speaks up and he says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He just kind of, kind of just blurts this out in the middle of, of kind of an interesting scene where Jesus is kind of stirring the pot a little bit and probably raising up the tension in the room. And, and I feel like maybe this guy just felt like there's awkward silence and I got to say something. So I'll just say, hey, enjoy the feast. God bless the one who will enjoy the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, being Jesus, sees this as an opportunity, an opportunity like Klein would describe where Jesus could explain about the kingdom of God, where Jesus could show the character of God, where he could reveal the expectations of God, and where Jesus could help them to engage, would help engage people with God's kingdom. It's as if Jesus was saying to this man and to, and to the others in the room that, all right, if this is where you are at, then this is where we will start. And so he begins to tell another parable, a parable based on, on a response to this man's statement about the kingdom of God. And, and this parable that he tells, it's a parable about a great banquet or a great feast. Now, this feast was, was huge, right? It was, a, it was prepared for a number of people, and many people would be invited. Hundreds were invited. It says that the invitations were sent out. Now, these invitations, they're probably more like a, a wedding announcement, they're being, that's being proclaimed like, hey, here is this party, and this announcement is going out to those that, that are, are nearby, that are near to the, to the host, and that are near to the, this guy, and, and who are known by him. These are the ones who you would expect to show up for a party like this. Like, if you send out wedding in, invitations, you, I'm, I'm guessing most of the ones you're expecting to come, and most of them you're expecting to say, yeah, we'd love to be there. We'd love to be there for this celebration. And so the master sends out an announcement. He sends out an invitation for this party to those who are known and those who are expected. But many who had been expected rejected the invitation. As we read, they just made up excuses after excuses, excuses like work, excuses like the, their possessions, excuses like other relationships, even their, their marriage relationship were taking priority. And, and that's not to say any of those things are bad, but they, they came up with a lot of excuses. And at the end of the day, they missed out on the opportunity that was planned for them. They missed out on the good things that were prepared for them. They missed out on the gift of, of grace that had been set aside just for them. And at this, the, it says that the host, this man, this, this whatever you want to call him, he was upset, frustrated, annoyed, and, and rightfully so, right? If you planned a huge party, if you spent all the time preparing and all the work and you send out the invitation and people are like, nah, I'm good, I've got something better to do, that would be frustrating. And what we know about this man as we read about him in this text is that he wanted his house full. He wanted this to be a party. He wanted people there. He wanted the, it to be packing the house. And so he grabs his servant and he says to his servant, go out to the, to the alleyways and go out to the streets and, and grab all that you can find, the, the blind and the disabled and the poor and invite them to come because it's ready. It is time. So the servant goes out to the streets and to the alley, to the poor, to the disabled and to the blind and, and to the broken. Now these were the unexpected they were the rejected. They were the, the unwanted and the unable compared to the expected. And for these that were receiving this invitation, this likely might have been the first time that they had ever had someone say to them through their actions, you belong here. You matter here. You are wanted here. 
I mean, imagine spending your life in a, in a rejected and an unwanted situation and then to have someone say, no, 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 come and you belong. You belong here. This is, this is where we want you. I love how the word changes here when it says that go in and invite the poor and invite the disabled. It's a different word than the invitation that was sent out. That invitation was an announcement. This word for invite here, it actually means to, to lead someone, to, to come and to, to get someone and to bring them to where they were invited to. See, what happens here is the servant goes out to the streets, and, and my, the way I would picture it in this, in this analogy or in this parable is that the, the servant is, is taking them by the hand and, and leading them to the party. He, for some, he might have to help them up. For some, he might have to walk them all the way there. For some, they might even need to be carried if they can't walk or, or move for themselves. But the servant is, is demonstrating compassion, demonstrating, demonstrating in reality that that you belong here, that, that you matter here. And again, this was a crowd of, of the unexpected, of the, the unwanted and, and the rejected. When I'm in Rwanda, speaking of, of Rwanda, oftentimes my, my Rwandan friends there, they'll want to show me something or they'll want to take me somewhere to, to talk or, to, or to, again, to maybe just to show me something. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll take me by the hand. Like I'll be over here and they'll be like, hey, Scott, and they'll grab me by the hand, and we'll walk together to wherever we're going, like hand in hand. Like, it was super awkward the first time. <laughs> I mean, I, like, we don't do that. I don't, I don't do that. Like, I, I hold my wife's hand, and that's about it. Anybody comes up and hold my hand after church, it's weird. <laughs> but eventually, what I realized was, was that this was symbolic. It's a symbol of, of equality. It's a symbol of relationship. It's a symbol of friendship. And for a, a group of people, a, a nation that has had huge division and deathly violence because of that, this is more than just symbolic. It's, it's a powerful demonstration of, of compassion, of grace, of love, and inclusion. So when, that's what Jesus was doing. He walked, and he, he would take the blind, and he would take the disabled, and he would take Anyone who was unwanted and rejected, and he would take them by the hand, the servant, and, and walk them to the party. It's significant. Now, after this, the servant shows up back at the master, right? And, and he says, hey, I did what you said. Got them all. They're all in here. They're sitting down. They're ready to go. And, but there's still room. Like, there's empty seats. We, we, have, we have room for more is, is what he says. And so the master's like, again, the master wants a full house. He wants us to be packed and not for like pride or, or arrogance, but because like this is, this is the purpose of the party. It's to, it's to celebrate. It's to enjoy the, the goodness of, of the host. And, and so he says, well, now go back out. And he says, go, and, go out to the, uh, beyond the hedges and go beyond the, the streets and go into the, the far reaches and, and compel them, urge them to come. Now, that word that's translated hedges, when it says to go out to the hedges, it's, it actually means that which separates, the things that divide, right, the things that, that keep us apart. And that, that's what a hedge does, typically, like, you know, depending on how high it is, but it's, it's to separate here from, from there. And so when the master says, go, sends the servant out and says, go, and, and go out beyond the hedges and bring in those people, that, those, those people weren't 
expected. They weren't unexpected. They were unsuspecting. They, didn't, they had no idea that this was coming because they had, there had been a, a clear dividing line, a, a hedge, literally, maybe, between them and, and this guy who throws the party. But the, the host says, no, go, go out beyond those hedges and, and, and urge them and compel them to come because this party is for them as well. You see, the, the host of the party, he, he understood something that maybe they didn't or maybe even that the, the others of the party didn't. He understood that those on the other side of the hedge, those that had been separated, those that had been kept apart, they weren't going to just simply stumble upon the party. They weren't going to arrive at the party by accident. They, they, had, they were unsuspecting. They had even had no idea that the party was, was going on. And so to, to, for them to come, you would have to go after them. You would have to go to them. And what we can kind of fill in the gap is that we would see this servant. He actually like crosses over the hedge. He steps beyond the line. He goes through the barriers that would keep these unsuspecting people and the host apart. He, he made the way through so that they could be brought together, so that the, the unsuspecting could enjoy the festivities as well. The servant went where no one else, at least from the, this host's home, was probably willing to go in order to compel and to urge and, and to bring in the unsuspecting. Now, the point of this parable, because it kind of stops there, right? Well, he says one thing at the end. He says, he says, and those who were invited but did not come, they will not even get a chance to taste the goodness, which is pretty harsh, but very real. And the point of this parable, it wasn't just simply trying to teach the people in this room, remember, Jesus is telling this story. And this is a, a story with intent, and he's telling it to a group of, of Pharisees and religious leaders, and, and he's not just trying to convince them to, to throw better parties with a, a more diverse crowd, but the reality is, is that the picture of this party that Jesus had is, is one that was beautifully diverse. People from every walk and tribe and, and tongue were pictured there. But that isn't the, the, the main purpose of this parable that he was sharing with them, although it's a big part of it. This parable was actually a picture of what had been taking place as Jesus announced the gospel, as Jesus announced what we call the, the good news of the kingdom of God. Remember at the beginning of Mark chapter 1, I think I read this last week, but at the beginning of Mark chapter 1, Mark, the, the gospel writer, says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He says, Jesus was saying this, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so maybe the question we would ask is like, if, what is the, the good news? I love how John Orberg describes this in, in his book, Eternity is Now in Session. He says, the kingdom of God has, has now, through Jesus, become available for ordinary human beings to live in. This is what John Orberg would describe as this good news that Jesus was proclaiming, that the, the kingdom of God has now, through Jesus, become available to ordinary human beings to live in. That the kingdom of God was not limited to the religious elite or to those who had everything together, but it was available to those who were, who were broken and, and messed up and who were dirty or who even were completely separated. But this, this kingdom is now accessible because of, of Jesus and because of the work that Jesus would do alive and, and then in his death and then in his direction to make that available to, 
to any person. Ordinary people and people who we would even consider less than, less than ordinary. It's available to, to all people. You see, Jesus used this parable to explain what God, who in, I believe in this parable was the host, what God was up to. He used this parable to explain what Jesus, who I see as the, the servant, what he had been doing this, this whole time. And he used this parable to, to show who was being invited, the, the expected, those who, who were already near and, and close to, to, the, to God, to the unexpected, to those who no one would expect should be included in, in God's story, and then the unsuspecting, those who had been completely separated from God because of maybe they're, they're, they were a Gentile or they were a sinner or whatever you, however you would want to describe them. There's a, a barrier had been created, but they were all invited, the expected, the unexpected, and the unsuspecting. All of them were invited to this party. And Jesus uses this parable to tell that, to explain that, and to illuminate that for them. And also so that they would understand that this would continue to take place as the kingdom of God was being established and made available on earth as it is in heaven. And here's the question that that we are to ask of, of this parable. It's what Klein Snodgrass would say that we should ask at the end of each parable. How did Jesus change the attitudes, the perspectives, and the behaviors with this parable? Well, I believe that that answer, the answer to that question is actually um, comes with an invitation. That the answer to that question comes with, the, with an invitation. For the expected, here it is, it's, it's that you belong here. Will you drop the excuses and, and follow Jesus? That's the, the answer to that question and it, the invitation for the expected. For the unexpected, it's, again, you belong here. Will you take the compassionate hand of Jesus and, and let him lead you? For the unsuspecting, the answer is this. You belong here. Will you step across the lines that have separated and divided and come with Jesus who came to you. And maybe for those who are following Jesus, will you, will you take up his action? Will you do what Jesus did? In the same book that I quoted John Ortberg from, I love how he describes this. He says, he invites you, that's if you're a follower of Jesus, as a gracious gift to become an agent of the kingdom to experience God's reign in your own life, body, and will, and then to become a conduit of God's power, joy, and love to bruised and bleeding humanity all around you. That's the invitation, and, and that's the answer to the question. You see, I think the reality for us is that as we walk through this life, as we walk in this journey with with Jesus is that we might find ourselves or we might see ourselves in, in any one of these four places at any given time. Like, I don't think we're just locked in. At, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the expected or I'm one of the unexpected or I'm one of the unsuspecting or I'm following Jesus right now. Like, again, there, I think there's seasons where I found myself feeling like the expected but, but rejecting with really bad excuses. Or maybe I felt like unexpected. Like, I, I just got too much going on in my soul that I feel like I can't even make my way into that space. Or maybe I'm unsuspecting that there's some barrier that's been created, whether it's, it's physical, emotional, relational, or spiritual, that's keeping me from, from pressing into this loving presence of God. Or, 
Or maybe you're, you're in a place where like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying my best to follow Jesus. But the reality is that, is that we might find ourselves in, in all of those places, but I think Jesus always is saying to us, if that's where you're at, then that is where we will start. So this morning, let me invite the worship team to come back up. And, and as they do, I want to just give us just a, a moment to just consider that. Like, where are we starting today? Is our starting point in, in, the, in a place of, of the unexpected? The expected? The unsuspecting? Or maybe in the, in the following of Jesus? I think it's important for us to be able to name that reality for ourselves. Jesus knows exactly where we're at. But if, we, if this is where we're going to start, we have to know that for ourselves. For, I, I just want to encourage you to take a minute to consider that, and then I will close that moment with a prayer. Jesus, here we are, the expected, the unexpected, the unsuspecting, and those who are doing our best to, to follow you. Thank you for graciously meeting us here and inviting us into deeper relationship and partnership with you. May the words that you have spoken to us today through your Holy Spirit become fulfilled in our lives together as your church for our good, for others' gain, and for your glory. Amen.